My 7 Chakras, episode 94. A life of discipline is better than a life of regret. The 7 Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Takers? AJ here, founder and host of My 7 Chakras, a show that provides you actionable tips, advice, and insights that will help you transform your life one day at a time, one habit at a time, and one action at a time. Now, Action Takers, taking action is important because it helps you build momentum. It helps you test and experiment and helps you get away from that feeling of stagnation. Now, in order to take that action, what is equally or if not more important is to have a strong life condition because when you have a strong life condition, you are happy, you are positive and you are full of vital energy that will help you zoom towards your goals. On the other hand, if you have a low life condition, no matter how many ideas or tactics you have, you just won't be able to move on, take action or build that momentum. And my job, Action Takers, is to ensure that you always have the highest life condition possible so that you not only head in the right direction, but you zoom toward it. Now, we've had 94 episodes so far, 94 powerful stories, 94 challenges overcome and 94 reasons to not give up. And what I've done is I've handpicked 27 of the most inspirational quotes that we've shared on the show so far. And I put all of that into a beautifully designed document that you are going to love. And as a gift uh, for not giving up, I'm giving it to you. Uh, for keeping your head high and for taking action. So in order to redeem your gift, all you have to do is visit our website. That's my7chakras.com slash 27 download. Once again, that's my7chakras.com slash 27 download. So head on to the page, download your gift, get inspired and take action. And that brings us to the moment that we've all been waiting for action takers. I am super excited to bring you our featured guest for today, Dr. Glenn Livingston. So Dr. Glenn, are you ready to inspire? There is no other reason that I'm here. Awesome. So Dr. Glenn Livingston is a psychologist you may have seen in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times or the New York Daily News. He's researched the nature of overeating for decades and self-funded a study with 40,000 participants. Today, Glenn shares his personal journey out of obesity and provides practical tips to stop overeating quickly. So Glenn, I've given our Action Tribe a short intro, but feel free to take a minute and tell us a bit more about you. Well, you know, I think most relevant to our call today is that I'm, I'm a psychologist by training in a family of 17 psychologists and psychotherapists and social workers and counselors, and you certainly don't want to come to our family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I used to joke, I don't know much about taking care of a house or anything. I could ask the the instruments how they feel, but I can't really repair anything. So um, that gives you a little bit about my upbringing. And I'm also someone who really struggled with an eating disorder myself. I, I had what you would call exercise bulimia, meaning that I'm a big guy. I could eat just about whatever I wanted as long as I exercised enough. And I enjoyed both of those activities. I enjoyed eating. I enjoyed exercise. But when I got 
older and had more responsibilities. I didn't have as much time for exercise, and I wound up with some. Well, I was you know 260 pounds, almost 260 pounds, and obese and triglycerides, I think, at 1,100 at one point and all all types of horrible things. So I was very motivated to figure it out for myself. I went through Overeaters Anonymous and, you know, all kinds of psychotherapy, and I really took a psychological approach, and I ultimately found a much more practical approach to solving the problem for myself, and then I've been able to help a lot of um, clients with that as well. And that's, that's a short story about Dr. Glenn Livingston. Well, thanks a lot for that wonderful intro. And right before we start today's show, we're going to take some time to get warmed up and build some inspirational momentum. And you have a very special role in that today to help us get started. Sound like a plan? Sure. Great. So what is your favorite inspirational quote? And also tell us, how do you apply this quote in your life? Well, I'm a big fan of Jim Rohn, who's a business philosopher but really a life philosopher. And he says that a life of discipline is better than a life of regret. A life of discipline is better than a life of regret. And it's very interesting. If you ask anybody that, you'll find maybe about 60% of the people will agree, and then 40% will say, no, a life of freedom is better than a life of discipline. But I actually think that freedom sits on top of discipline. I don't think you can have freedom if you don't have a life of discipline. Um, Because I, you know, if I weren't disciplined in taking the time to exercise and think through and prepare my food early in the day and organize and prioritize my goals for the day and track my progress and execute them to the best of my ability, I wouldn't get to live in the healthy, energetic body that I get to live in. I'd probably be limiting my, my years and I, um, I wouldn't be able to accomplish the things that I accomplish and help the people that I help. So I have much more freedom because I do have a life of discipline and every year that goes by without those, without building those disciplines is really a life, really a year of regret. And I I do find that a life of discipline is better than a life of regret. Wonderful. That's really powerful. And sometimes, as you mentioned, it might sound counterintuitive that if you want to live the life that you really want, you have to go through a discipline, because as you rightly pointed out, we are what we do on a daily basis. It might not be easy at the start. It might be really hard. Sometimes we wake up and we really don't want to follow through on that discipline, on that daily routine. But if we follow through, we can really live the life that we want. So thanks a lot for sharing this wonderful thought. And with that, let's dive right in. What inspired you to write your book, Never Binge Again? You know, after spending many years taking a more traditional psychological approach, looking deep within my soul for what might be broken inside me that would cause me to, you know, visit the delicatessen, dislodge my jaw and empty as much of the food there that I could into it. You know, that, that would cause me to obsess about food while I was sitting with patients and feel guilty about doing that and just spend my days wondering when I could eat another whole pizza after spending years trying to figure out what was wrong with my soul, I, I learned a lot of things, but none of them really stopped me from continuing to overeat. And I actually had, had among the things that I did was I funded a, funded a study, an online study, 40,000 people. It took several years to complete. And I analyzed the data, and I found that there were some patterns with regards to the particular emotional experiences people had when they ate particular foods. So, so for example, people who craved chocolate and had trouble with chocolate, trouble overeating chocolate, tended to be feeling 
unloved or isolated. Mm-hmm. And that described me to a certain extent, and I certainly have a chocolate monster inside. People who are craving carbohydrates tend to be feeling stressed out at at work or not like they're not accomplishing what they really want to accomplish and that there's something very significant in the way. And people who were craving salty snacks tended to be very anxious. And when I figured that out, I thought that I really had something because I thought then, well, gee, I would know based on what I was craving, what emotional need I had, and I could go out and fill that emotional need. But it turned out to not be that easy. And, and worse yet, what would happen is it was like there was this little voice inside of me that said, you know, you're feeling unloved. Chocolate really does help with feeling unloved. You don't have to worry about these feelings if you have the chocolate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and until you can figure out how to get more love in your life, because you can't control other people. You can't really get love in your life all the time. But until you can figure out how to get it more reliably, you might as well just binge on chocolate. And I found that when I started to try to work with people about these emotional reasons for reading, that they they had this similar crazy voice inside of them. And then, okay, so here's the moment. I'm sorry if I'm taking a little too long on this, but I I was at a Starbucks, and I had just started a new diet, which I was supposed to really focus on eating vegetables, and and I had sworn off of eating chocolate, at least for the period of the diet. And as I was getting ready to pay for my coffee, there is this big mega chocolate bar staring me in the face. And the longer I had to wait for the coffee, the better it looked. So I kind of finally heard this this voice inside me that said, you know, Glenn, chocolate grows on a tree. It comes from a cocoa bean and cocoa beans grow on a tree, which is a plant. And a plant is kind of a vegetable. So technically chocolate is a vegetable. So this is technically on your diet, at least a little bit of it is, right? And that sounds ridiculous, but ask anybody who really struggles with overeating and they know that no matter how rational they are and how well they thought things through when they're in their right mind, when you're faced with that chocolate bar in front of you, crazy things start to sound kind of reasonable. And before I knew it, I bought the chocolate bar and ate it. And then, of course, I bought another one and a muffin and et cetera, et cetera. And as soon as I had eaten a couple of bites, that crazy voice inside of me said, well, you know, you're, you're not really on your diet now, so you might as well go to town and we can start again tomorrow. Um, and so it, it like played both sides of the argument. And that mm-hmm. was actually an inspiring moment for me because I realized that it wasn't really that I had to fill this emotional hole inside of me. I might have an emotional hole inside of me, but I didn't have to fill that with the food. What I had to do was figure out how to, how to hear that crazy voice and ignore it or come up with a better answer for what it was saying. I, ha- I had to really deal with that crazy voice. That's what I had to do. And um, I'd read some books in the more black and white addiction field, like you know, alcohol and drugs, which were involved with doing that. A particularly good one is um, Rational Recovery uh, by Jack Trimpey. And I was really surprised to find, I, I thought they were going to be focused on all these psychological elements, but they were really focused on, look, there's this, crazy part of you. It's linked to your brainstem and it overrides your neocortex and it overrides your rational thinking and it doesn't care about your higher goals and aspirations and dreams and it doesn't care about your family or anything you're trying to accomplish in this world. It would sacrifice anything and what you need to do, this thing is your enemy. This is the worst enemy that you've ever found, you've ever fought and thankfully your biology is wired that you're actually superior to it. You just have to learn how to hear it. And that, that was my inspiring moment, and I can 
you know, I can talk about the journey to figure out how to apply that to eating um, after I pause to see if you have any questions. But that was the inspirational moment that I that comes to mind when you ask about that. Wonderful. You mentioned that at one point you were really obsessed with food and you used to think about it even when you were with your patients at work and you didn't stop there. You conducted a massive research, 40,000 people, and you found some patterns relating what people eat with what they feel. And I don't know what it is about these coffee shops, especially Starbucks. They tend to keep the chocolate or the most tasty stuff right near the cashier. Well, they're not, they're not stupid, pay. right? <laughs> <laughs> so another marketing tip and something that really works, I'm sure that when you finish your coffee, you finish your chai tea latte, when you're about to pay, you have that massive chocolate in front of you and you can't stop from making that decision. And I love that you spoke about the inner voice. It's so true. And we tend to rationalize our decisions to suit our emotions. And that usually happens after we've made the decision and we want to look good from within, right? Yeah. Now, I was going through some statistics before the show. And what I found is that more than one third, in fact, 34.9%, or 78.6 million of U.S. adults are obese. In 2008, the estimated annual medical cost of obesity in the U.S. was 147 billion U.S. dollars, and the medical costs for people who are obese were 1,429 dollars higher than those of normal weight. So the challenge is real, and it seems like it's not an individual challenge per se, but a cultural challenge as a whole. So why is binge eating so prevalent in our culture today? Well, okay. So now I, in in addition to the work that I did with patients and coaching clients, and by the way, the work I do now in this line, I consider to be coaching because it's a little bit counter to what my licensed profession considers to be appropriate treatment for eating disorders. Um, So I have to do it under the rubric of, of coaching and education. But in my earlier life, I don't have kids and I've never commuted, so I've had a fairly extensive career. Um, I've done a lot of consulting for large companies, and among them were very large food manufacturers. And so I was exposed to the type of funding and research that they do to figure out how to sell their food to uh, their food in quotes to to the public. And what what's happened is, you know, in, in a purely capitalistic economy, focusing on supply and demand, which is kind of a natural outcome, that the populace has a demand for the things that have the most calories in the smallest space that look the glitziest. They don't necessarily have a demand for the nutrition. And so the food manufacturers have evolved to push our evolutionary buttons. Like, for example, there is a company... I will not name names so I don't get sued, but there, there's a company that didn't figure out how to really market their bars, their supposedly nutritional bars, until they took the vitamins out of the bars and added and really focused on making the packaging look delicious. That's the kind of key insight. And that's just you know one example of hundreds I could give you. That's the kind of insights and motivation that goes on at the on the food manufacturing level. And then on the other side, so we've got, we've got the food industry doing that. We've got literally billions of dollars going into programming children from a young age to you know, crave these wares. I heard a study where I think the average child, average school-age child is exposed to at least 5,000 messages about food each year. And not one of those messages is to get them to eat more fruit and vegetables. 
And so we've got, we've got the enormous influence of industry that's programming us to move away from the natural um, nutrition that's available for us on the land to their, their packaged, industrial, hyperpalatable foods. And then, then on the other side, there's a notion in the culture that it's not possible to quit these bad habits that you you can you should try but you should just try one day at a time and you know that was the notion that was put forth in ovaries and not ovaries anonymous and some people do well there i find that most people don't and i couldn't find any research that said it was any better than doing nothing at all if if you think about it it's like a double whammy like on one side of the coin we've got industry saying we'll give you the most calories in the smallest space for the best price with this packaging and advertising that's going to fool you into thinking you're nutrifying your body. And on the other side, we have the, you know, the treatment industry saying you can't hope to resist this kind of stuff. You can maybe resist it one day at a time, but you can't hope to turn, turn your back on it. And then you ask, is it any wonder that we all got fat? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, does it really take a rocket scientist? Did it really take a 40,000 person study to figure that out? No, it, it's a seemingly insurmountable Works, but the truth is when you know what's going on and you kind of get back to basics and think about how the brain is wired, there are some very practical, direct techniques that you can use to take control of your eating and really reverse the tide. Wonderful. So three key things that I noted from what you said, you mentioned that the manufacturers are really pushing our evolutionary bu- you know, buttons and trying to sell us on the small space, large quantity, focusing on the packaging, the covers, the branding to make people buy. And then a lot of ads are really targeted towards uh, school children to make them crave for food, which is not really healthy, not fruits, not vegetables, but processed stuff. And then the preconceived notion that exists in the society as a whole that we can't really change our habits you know we might try one day at a time but we can't really change it completely so thanks a lot for sharing those insights and one of the most popular new year resolutions really is losing weight and avoiding negative habits like eating and uh, binge eating in particularly on january 1st people start with loads of determination and conviction but then a few months down the line things seem to go downhill so what really goes wrong well what goes wrong is that they get overcome by this crazy voice. That's, that's part of it. The, the other part is that people tend to focus on restrictive habits in order to lose weight. You know, like I'm never going to have chocolate. I'm going to only eat pasta on weekends or something like that. And they, they focus on taking a lot of things out of their diet without putting enough emphasis on what they can add back into their diet. So, you know, I'm, I'm always going to have six servings of fruit and vegetables every day. I'm where am I going to get the calories? Is it going to be from additional protein is, and what additional habits do I have to install into my life in order to make that happen? Do I have to make sure I go grocery shopping and do meal preparation every Sunday? Do I have to look at my calendar and think through the tight squeezes where I'm going to be really tempted to stop at a fast food place? So people tend to, they don't realize how integrated these highly dense sources of calories that are really not good for us are into our lives. And so they don't make an appropriate effort to put in the necessary replacements. They, they just, they kind of understand that I know that I'm fat because I'm having, you know, three bars of chocolate a day. If I stop doing that, I'll be okay. But yeah, but what are you going to have instead? So that's a big part of what goes wrong. Where, where my work focuses more is on, getting control of that 
voice that convinces you to change your mind, going back to the Starbucks counter. And I encourage my clients, well, first I encourage my clients to get really clear on what it is that they're, you know, what food plan do they really want to follow? Most people have had good days and have had bad days and they've read enough and they've heard enough diets that they don't need me to give them another diet. They, they know what healthy eating means to them. And so if you interview them for a little while, they will tell you exactly what plan they want to follow. And you, you have to root out all the ambiguity in that plan because you don't want there to be any wiggle room for your, your destructive alter ego to overcome. And as a shortcut, I call my destructive alter ego my pig. I just call it my inner pig. I know pigs are really cute farm animals. I know that a lot of women hate when I call it my pig. You can call it. I know a woman who calls it her inner slacker. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's, not, it's not this really lovable pet. It's, it's a part of you that will destroy everything that means anything to you. And I, I, call it my, I call it my pig. And once I've drawn a line that dictates exactly what's on my food plan, we can talk about how to draw those lines if you want. Once I've drawn that line, then Anything that suggests that I will ever go beyond that line is my pig. And I call that pig squeal. The pig is squealing. And I call anything that is not on my food plan, I call that pig slop. And you'll all say these are very derogatory terms, but that's on purpose because at the moment of impulse, I need a really toxic analogy that's going to bring up some feelings of disgust so that if I were to hear my pig at this point say, well, chocolate is a vegetable, I can just say, well, chocolate is pig slop. That's not on my plan. And I don't eat pig slop. I don't, chocolate belongs in a pig's trough and you're just squealing. And I don't, I don't listen to farming animals to tell me what to eat. It sounds not that sophisticated for someone with my credentials and, and background to have come up with, but um, you know, the, the art is in defining your food plan and listening for those particular pig squeals and learning how to overcome them. Marvos, you spoke about the restrictive habits that a lot of people begin with and the focus is just taking out, which seems logical at first glance, but Action Tribe, what about your subconscious, your inner voice at the moment of truth when you're at the cashier, when you can or cannot make the decision to buy that chocolate bar? That's the critical point. Now, Glenn, let's take a few steps back. One of the things I know is that the tips, advice, and recommendations that you share stem not only from your research and your practice and your experience with your students, but also from your personal experience too. You've experienced obesity yourself. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yeah, I was about 60 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So could you talk to us about, about your experience with being obese? You mentioned that earlier in life, you could manage that with a good, uh, healthy routine and some exercise. But then uh, you seem to go over it. And how did you actually get back? Well, this is, this is how I got back. I always knew what a healthy diet was. It's important to me that people don't think I'm preaching about what diet they should follow. I, yeah. uh, for example, I, I personally follow a whole foods plant-based diet, but I have clients who follow paleolithic diets and um, all sorts of other, you know, combinations and permutations of what they really want to eat. Um, I'm about really giving you control, not telling you what, what you should eat. Mm -hmm. But personally, I, I follow a whole foods plant-based diet and it's pretty simple for me. There's just a couple of simple rules that define what, um, what I should be eating on, on a healthy day. And so I made sure that those rules were really clear. And then I, um, I listened very carefully for my pig squealing against them. Once I had those rules, I, thought very carefully about what they meant to me. Most people don't stop to think, well, if I were to follow these rules for one year without fail, what would be different in my life? And, you know, would I be thinner? Would I be less worried about my, about my health, 
less worried about having a heart attack? Would I feel like a better role model? Would I be more present for my wife and my niece and my nephew and my pets? Would I be able to accomplish more at work? Maybe it would have a financial impact on me. Maybe I would be spending more time with friends and family as opposed to obsessing about food. Maybe I would be able to get outside and enjoy you know, hiking more or running or whatever it is I like to do because I'd have more energy. And when you get people really clear in what they want to eat as a healthy diet and you get them really clear in what the results will be you know, a year or so down the road if they stay with that, then all of the pig squeal becomes a lot less appealing. Mm-hmm. You start to realize that this is all that, this, this crazy voice in my head is all that's standing between me and all of this heaven. What am I doing? And so I personally set out those rules for myself and those, are, those rules evolved over time as I learned more. And I began ignoring the pig and I, I was not perfect. You know, I would make mistakes from time to time. But just like um, if you look at very successful people, like successful athletes, what they do is they visualize themselves at the finish line and they purge mm-hmm. all possibility of doubt and failure out of their mind. And so they don't say, well, I'm just going to do this one day at a time and maybe I'll make it or maybe I won't. It's like, no, I'm going to win this race and I can visualize myself winning and I'm going to be at that finish line victorious. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is because the possibility of failure is a distraction. It channels your energy away from accomplishing the goal. And so it's entirely possible to be perfectly committed, all the while kind of keeping a secret from yourself, knowing that, well, if I don't make it, I'm just going to analyze what went what wrong and get up again and do it again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's what I would personally do. And, and there were a lot of times when I didn't make it and I got up and did it again. Um, but every time I got up, I had that perfect level of commitment. And every time I got up, the clarity of the pig's voice became simpler and simpler to hear. And my plan got better and better. You know, and the weight came off, and I would stabilize and plateau at a particular weight for a while, and um, then I realized I have to make some significant change, and sometimes I consult with nutritionists or you know, a personal trainer or something to figure it out, but um, mostly it was just coming to terms with, look, I had to, I had to dominate this crazy voice inside of me, and, and then the voice got quieter and quieter and quieter. Most people think it's going to be torture to let go of a particularly bad habit. They think they're going to be miserable forever. But, mm-hmm. but the truth is that we don't crave things that we know we can't have. Or even, you can even do this conditionally. Like, suppose you only want to have chocolate on the weekends. You'll, you'll find that you don't necessarily crave chocolate during the week because you just know it's not a possibility. You've, you've made all those decisions beforehand, and no matter how hungry, angry, lonely, or tired you get during the week, if you decide you're not a person who eats chocolate during the week, then you're not a, the kind of person who eats chocolate during the week. Just like if you decide you're not a bank robber, you don't have to agonize every time you pass a bank that, you know, gee, maybe I'm going to go and you're right. <laughs> or, or you don't push old ladies off of cliffs. You don't have to agonize every time you pass an old lady. It's just the kind of person you are. True. Love that. So Action Tribe, have the end goal in mind. What would it feel like? What emotions will you go through? What will you do as the new you? What does the end goal look like? So Glenn, let's talk about the solution. Now, this is a challenge that I personally face as well. And I'm really looking for a solution to this. But how do you create your own food plan? First of all, Aditya, I am happy at some point to come back and coach you through directly so people can hear how it's done if you want to do that. Um, Wonderful. But 
but the the structure that I, you can do it any way you want to. Mm-hmm. It's up to you as as long as it's crystal clear, meaning that if ten people followed you around all week, they would know whether you were on or off it. They would all agree. Not not nine of them, but all ten of them. So, for example, here's a rule that wouldn't work. If I said I avoid chocolate most of the time, that wouldn't work because at the end of the week, those ten people would have all kinds of ideas what most of the time meant. Mm-hmm. But if I say I never eat chocolate during the week, then at the end of the week, those people are going to know that I have any chocolate during the week or not. So you're looking for crystal clear rules. And I give people four simple categories. One is things that they will never do. You know, I, I never eat chocolate. I never eat refined carbohydrates, something like that. One is things that they want to do conditionally. And just like a city planner who's trying to figure out how many traffic lights and stop signs are necessary, you don't want to restrict the flow of traffic any more than you need to. The goal here is to maximize your freedom while, while protecting your health goals. But you can make up any condition that you want. I, you know, I know people who really are fine about avoiding their binge foods except for social events, and they want to be able to have them at social events, so they do that. I, there are people who only eat pretzels at Major League Baseball games. There, there are people who on the weekends can have two minutes at night before they go to sleep. So any, anything that you know is going to work for you, you can set that up conditionally. The one caveat being that if you keep trying conditional rules and the conditional rules don't work, then you might find that never is easier than sometimes. But So one category is never, one category is conditionals. Then there's a category of always rules. I always start the day with eight ounces of fresh filtered water. I always eat six servings of fruit and vegetables. I always meditate for 20 minutes before dinner. Always rules. Whatever supportive routines are going to, are going to help you to round out your plan. And then I like people to make a, make a list of things that they could have in unrestricted amounts so that they counter the notion that they're ever going to have to starve. Because the way we're physiologically set up, if you try to use this technique to starve yourself, I mean, you can, most people are capable um, physiologically of not eating for several days without dying. Um, I'm not a medical doctor, so ask your doctor before you do that. (laughs) But um, most people will will not actually starve. However, the body is set up so that if you deprive yourself for too long, physiologically, it wants to make you be less discriminating about what you have. And what that looks like is that the neurologically, I believe that it gives sway to the limbic system and the brainstem over the neocortex at those times to anything that looks like food. And so it's it's really important that you have ways to keep yourself well-fed and that there's no legitimacy to the pig's notion that, look, you're going to starve if you don't have that. You you really need that chocolate bar or you're going to starve, right? We all know rationally that it's not true, but we don't want there to be any gut-level physiological experience that says that really is true. Yeah. So so you sit down, and I usually have people do this in phases. Usually I have them start with the single most troublesome food or eating behavior that is bothering them right now. I find if you ask most people, most people always have in the back of their mind one significant way to improve their diet and health routine that would make a tremendous difference. And I like people to start with just one if it's at all possible because – then they get a sense of this technique and how powerful it can be. And they learn to hear that pig squeal. And then it's a lot easier to apply the 
you know, to write out the rest of the rules. Sometimes people are in a real hurry to lose weight and get everything out of their diet right away. And so I'll schedule a longer session with them or something and we'll work that out. But, um, and, and I, and I do have a whole bunch of free food plan starter templates with instructions on, on my website, which I know we're going to give out later. So yeah, it's, it's that simple. That's the guidance that I give people for creating a food plan. Nevers, conditionals, always and, and unrestricted. Um, but you can do it however you want to, as long as it's crystal clear. Wonderful. So thanks a lot for sharing your wisdom. Now, for someone who is currently obese or is facing the challenge of binge eating, making a change might initially come across as a big challenge and something that's hard to do. But in order to make this person's task a bit easier to build some momentum for a quick win, is there a simple and effective health tip that you'd like to share with our audience that they can really you know, try out today itself? Well, I, I was kind of doing that. Let me kind of flesh out the procedure. So step back for a second, and you, you probably intuitively know something that you're doing that's against your best interests with food or your, your health routine. You, you probably intuitively know it, something that you need to change. Maybe it's something you need to add. So you know, take a moment and think about that. And usually, usually the first answer that pops into mind is the one that it is, even though as soon as that pops into mind, you're going to hear another little voice that says, what are you crazy? Don't say that right? That, that's not the one. There must be another one. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably that first one that popped into your mind. And once you know what that is, give some thought to the possible ways that you could implement a change. Don't make a commitment. Put off the commitment for the moment. Just give some thought to the possible ways that you can change. Is this something you want in the nevers column? Is this something you want to put conditions on? Is this something that belongs in the always column or, or something else? And if you take out a piece of paper and you put two or three of the most reasonable ways you think that you could make a change without any commitments and draw a line down the paper and then start with the most restrictive change and write out how you think your life would be different in a year if you could comply with that change 100%. I know that there's this inner voice in you that says, no, that's not possible. It's not even worth thinking about because I could never do this, but put it down anyway. What, if you could comply 100%, what would be different? We talked about that a little before. And then shift over to the other possibilities and ask yourself, how would this picture that I just created be a little bit different or a lot different under these other scenarios? And that'll give you a sense of what direction you want to go with your rule. And then what you want to do after that is give your inner pig a chance to explain to you why you should break it, why you shouldn't do this. And this is before you commit. So the pig will say, well, you're going to be, you're going to need some emotional comfort. You're going to get too depressed and you're going to have to, you're going to have to eat that chocolate or have more than one plate of pasta or whatever your rule happens to be. Or your pig is going to say, well, you're not going to be able to, you're going to be out to dinner and you don't want to look like a weirdo and you're not going to know what to say. So you're going to have to, you know, at least make an exception for that. And your inner pig is going to say, what about all those other people who are going to enjoy it? Don't you get to enjoy any fun also? And your inner pig is going to say, well, just one won't hurt. List every last reason your inner pig is giving you for not being able to do this, the, the rule that you want to follow. And then step back into your right mind and ask yourself, well, how does that sound to you now? And what may be a more realistic answer? You don't have to have an answer for every one. All you really need to do is be able to identify these as pig squeals when they come up later. And by having force them to the surface, you're going to be much better able to do that. But for example, let's say the pig says, well, you really deserve to have some chocolate sometimes. 
maybe the answer is, well, but I, I really deserve to be thin. I don't know where and leave my family and you know, they really deserve to have me here. Maybe you can make a list of all the things that you deserve and your family deserves that would help you when that help you identify that as squeal when it comes up. But even if you can't remember it at the moment, it's enough to remember that it is squeal and that since the pig's only goal is to binge, its only goal is to destroy your goals and dreams, there's no reason to listen to it. It's it's kind of like trying to have a rational discussion with a serial killer. You know, it's just it's a sociopathic entity and and yeah. If you do this and then you kind of keep a journal every morning to listen to what the pig might have to say as your reason to break your rule you know, for, for a couple of months, you'll find that your sense of mastery and power grows by the day. And many people, when they do this procedure, they never break the rule again, especially if it's for something simple that there's no need for in the diet, you know, like popcorn or bagels or something like that. And if you want to eat popcorn and bagels, more power to you. I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm trying to get people to not have that, but but especially if it's something that is not really serving any nutritional function in your diet, then a lot of people will find just doing this one exercise is enough to get control of their, their inner destructive alter ego forever on that one particular point. And I ask people to live with it for you know, at least a couple of weeks and get a sense of how this all works. And, um, you know, and then they can come back and try to work on another rule to tighten up their plan and you know, accomplish more of the health goals that they're, they're after. Perfect. Thanks a lot for that powerful tip. We'll have that in the show notes so that uh, our listeners can go through it and click on the link and listen some to some more if they really want to dive deeper. Now, uh, the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Now, this is a profound quote by South African revolutionary, philanthropist and former president Nelson Mandela. Action takers, the thing that stood out for me in this quote is that achieving glory is possible. It's not reserved for the elite, the super rich or privileged few. It's available to all. But in order to attain that glory, you must realize that you're going to fall a few times. But after each fall, every time you get up, Every time you stand up and every time you push yourself to the next level, you're getting one step closer to that glory. So, Glenn, I'm sure that you are no stranger to challenges as well. To take us back to a time when you faced a major challenge. So, firstly, what was your initial reaction to that particular challenge? And then tell us, how did you overcome it? Okay, I'm going to answer this very personally with the caveat that I really don't expect anybody to eat the way that I do. I, having followed this procedure and this methodology over many years, I've been able to accomplish amazing things with my diet. And um, I'm personally, I'm personally transitioning to a 100% raw diet. And one of the biggest challenges for me, and I, I, I want to do that because of particular hereditary genetic challenges to my health and because I feel an amazing level of energy when I, when I follow that. But as I was doing that, there's a restaurant and this is a fantastic restaurant. I, I wish them all the best. They're head and shoulders above, you know, from, from a health perspective, from a mission perspective, I think just about any other restaurant chain I found it. They're called life alive and it's a very inspiring place to go. My wife and I always, you know, it's kind of our, our Saturday night place and it's very colorful. We always had great conversations. We'd some talk to the people that were there next to us, but it's even though it's a vegan, organic, mission-driven organization, it still cooked food. 
it's still cooked food. And so it really was not consistent with my personal goals. And I had the hardest time. It just felt wrong to put it into my pig's trough to say that because they're, they're such good people. It's such a good mission. It's so much better than the way society eats as a whole. And I have really had to step back and say, okay, but Glenn, you're an individual. It's okay for you to have this individual goal because of a level of excellence that you want to personally achieve that nobody else in the world has to, has to want or even agree with. And for you, you have to put that in. That's, that has to be pig slop. For you, that's pig slop. And it, because everything about the food and the organization is so aligned with my personal mission in life overall, I almost felt like I was mourning a really good person. I almost felt like, what, why, am I, why am I dropping this really good person from the life? But still, when I step back and I intellectually evaluate it at, at a time when I'm you know, of sound mind and body and thinking things through and I'm not really hungry, I come to the conclusion that I don't want to have their food you know, for, my, for my personal goals. And so it, it took me a lot longer with that particular food role than any other role that I'd focused on before because I, I really needed to come to terms with the individual nature of my goal and that I couldn't talk about it with too many people either. Like if I, if I talk to you about having too much chocolate, everybody understands that it's possible to have too much chocolate. If I talk to you about having too many, too much steamed vegetables and tofu, <laughs> you know, not most people think I'm a fanatic when I say that. And so I have to remember that, you know, one man's pig slop is another man's healthy treat. And it took me a long time to get that, but I finally did. Marvel. So looking back now, in just one sentence, what is it one major life lesson that our listeners can take away from your story? All you need to do to never binge again is never binge again. You don't have to spend 10 years in psychotherapy. Um, you might want to spend 10 years in psych- psychotherapy for other reasons. I'm very much in favor of that. I spent a lot of money on that over the years. But to never binge again, what you need to do is make a crystal clear rule for yourself, learn to hear this voice and ignore it. All you need to do to never binge again is never binge again. You don't have to hit yourself in the head with a spatula. You don't have to sit by the river and meditate for for years. You just have to never binge again. Wonderful. So thanks a lot for sharing this story, especially when you love a restaurant. It's healthy, it's green, you love the place, and it's run by great people, and you love going there on a Saturday night, but it didn't cook food in such a situation how do you decide whether to say yes or no it's really a hard decision but as you mentioned rightly one man's pig slop is another man's food and thanks for sharing this profound thought with our listeners that in order to never binge again just never binge again you know as you've gone through that experience you have a systematic step of action that people can take and if people follow through that they can overcome that challenge And action takers, as we head boldly towards our goals, no matter what your story is, realize that you've come a long way. And any time you look back at your life, you might have doubts, thoughts, or maybe worries and second guesses that come to your mind. And whenever that happens, remember that Barbara Girachi once said, our background and circumstances may have influenced who we are, but we are responsible for who we become. That's right, action takers. Only you have the power to transform your life, to get into healthy habits, and to never binge again. So my question to you, Glenn, is have you found your life's calling? And if yes, what is your life's calling? Part of my work is training and supervising coaches and therapists. 
And what I tell them is that you need to figure out what it is in your life experience that you want to share with people so you can spare them the pain that you went through. And and for me personally, helping others to stop overeating and binge eating, because I there's nothing in my life that was more painful than the struggle that I had with food. I, it was almost it was almost not worth living at one point. I, I I was so obsessed with food and it was interfering so much with the rest of my life so that when I can take people out of that sense of powerlessness and give them back a sense of mastery and control over their life, there's nothing more gratifying and that definitely is my calling. Wonderful. So was there ever a magical moment in your life, maybe an eureka moment, beyond which you knew without a shadow of a doubt that your life was about to change? Well, I, I think when I first started to dare to teach other these other people's these methods and i remember a woman who wanted to give up a particular food and she finally came out and said oh my pig is not me i get it my pig is not me which sounds a little crazy and we all know that you know this is just a kind of a thinking trick but when she really got that and i i knew that she'd crossed the threshold and she was not going to be anywhere near as troubled as she was before by food. And it's like I had my first, I had my first fan for this, this methodology. And I realized that I could spread the word. I realized that this, it wasn't just some crazy technique that I put together in my head. It was something that could mean a lot to a lot of people. And, um, you know, ever since then, that's, that's what I've been doing. That's powerful. And with that, Glenn, we have reached my favorite round called the wisdom round. Now, FYI, this round is a rapid fire round that contains just four questions. So are you ready? Okay. So as you dive back into your memories, what is the best advice that you have ever received? Probably from my dad, uh, who said that if I wanted to work things out in life, I should get into therapy, which was tremendous. But he said, if you really want to work things out, become a therapist. And what he meant by that was help other people solve the problems that you solved. And it will pay you back in space. And I have to tell you, it, it really did. Name one personal habit that keeps you healthy. I exercise six days a week, whether I feel it, feel like it or not. And I usually do it in a class of other people so that I feel some accountability and camaraderie while I'm doing it. So Glenn, what is your morning ritual like? What do you do during the first two hours of your day? <laughs> people think I'm crazy. Um, I get up <laughs> at around 4.30, sometimes 5 o'clock wow. if, if I go to bed late. I make myself a green smoothie with bananas and kale and, you know, spinach and whatever greens I happen to have around the house. I go for that strong workout that I told you about. Usually it takes an hour. Then I come back and I take a shower. If I have a little extra time, I'll take a roll pool. I will spend the next 20 minutes or so journaling. Then I'll spend 10 minutes reviewing my long-term and medium-term goals and then I'll finally prioritize my short-term goals and projects for the day so I can work on them in order. Name a book that has made a significant impact on your life. How to Live an Inspired Life by Jim Rohn. Perfect. We'll have all of that up in the show notes. Okay. So Action Takers, the show notes for today can be accessed by visiting my7chakras.com slash 94. That's my7chakras.com slash Nine four. All right, Glenn, before we end today's session, what is that one thing that you are really grateful for today? And also tell us the best way we can find you online. Well, I am exceptionally grateful for my healthy mind, body, and spirit and the opportunity to make a difference in other people's lives by sharing the things that I've learned. 
The best place to find me online with regards to this topic would be at neverbingeagain.com, neverbingeagain.com. I've made the book available for free in Kindle and Nook format, but if, if you go to neverbingeagain.com and sign up for the reader bonuses, you'll get the latest version of the book, and you will also get a set of food, tam- food plan starter templates and a series of case studies where I interviewed, um, where I, I coached people through this process in depth you know, for 45 minutes or so, and you can actually hear how it unfolds in real time. It's one thing to hear about it, talked about it in theory, but it's another to actually hear people go through the process. So that's at neverbingeagain.com, and just click on the reader bonus button, and everything will come from there. If you happen to be outside of the States, and you have any trouble getting the book for free, then just use neverbingeagain.com to contact us, and we'll take care of you. Um, we'll send you a PDF or something like that. But uh, in, in the States, it's available for free on on Amazon and, and Nook format. Wonderful. So there you go, Action Tribe. What we spoke about today was just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to learn, so many new strategies to, you know, get exposed to and take action toward. This book is available on Amazon for free at this point. It's not just a report, but it's an entire book. So a lot of more stuff that you can learn about. And of course, there are reader bonuses. So you can listen to interviews where you can learn so many more insights about your journey that you are going to begin to live healthy and to embark on a discipline, not just trying something new, but to embark on a discipline so that you can enjoy your life and head towards a magnificent future. So Glenn, thank you so much for coming on our show today, talking to us about how to never binge again and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thanks, Aditya. This is really uh, inspiring. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.